Romans chapter 8, we're looking at one of the most encouraging and quoted chapters in all the Bible. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we like to quote that passage, but we looked at the reason why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ is because Jesus took all the condemnation upon himself. As believers, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the judgment, uh, all God's wrath, all God's judgment for our sin uh, fell upon the Son. And so um, we don't have to fear sin and death. Jesus took our condemnation for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't experience the consequences of poor choices. But at the end of life, um, there's nothing that separates you or I from the love of Christ. We don't have to fear sin and death. God does not judge us. And then last week, we looked at the fact that, uh, uh, that Jesus has set us free. Um, we are no longer a slave to sin, that uh, he's given us his spirit. And because he's given us his, his spirit, we have the ability, we have the opportunity to live our life for the Lord, to, to love others um, who may be our enemies. We don't have to be people who are just default to hate any longer. We saw the, the protest that took place in Charlottesville uh, two weeks ago. That was a protest on both sides where people were full of hate. Now, yes, one group was standing up against the hatred of Nazis and white supremacists. And as believers in Christ, we should stand up against evil We should confront evil, but as believers in Christ, we leave the, uh, we we leave the, uh, uh, the violence, we leave, um, the wrath to the government, we leave the, the the discipline to the, the police and those who are in authority over us. We can't be vigilantes. We are not to be vigilantes and just take justice out pursue justice ourselves in things of those matters. That's that we leave that up to God as Christians. Bible says, yes, we stand up against sin, but we are to love our enemy. Not, not to be violent towards them. If we disagree with them and it's walking in the spirit that allows us, enables us to live our life for God, to let our light shine for Jesus Christ. Those who aren't in Christ default to evil, default to hatred. They are controlled. They're enslaved to sin. But Jesus has set us free. And we looked at last week uh, what it was like to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And uh, in concluding that passage of scripture last week, we uh, looked at the fact that 
In the spirit, we have a new identity. We are a child of God. We are in relationship with him. And that was in verse 16, but I didn't get to verse 17. And so we're going to be looking at verse, verses 17 and beyond this morning uh, in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's begin with verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, that's a difficult phrase in that verse. As a child of God, that doesn't mean that it's just is always going to go well with us. Paul says we are going to suffer with him. As we suffer with him, we are going to experience uh, our inheritance. We are going to be fellow heirs with Christ. And now verses 18 through 27 um, talk about, is, is there to encourage you and I, to give us hope in the midst of suffering so that we will persevere, persevere and not quit. And so this is what the Bible says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You need to circle the words in hope that that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption, redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Suffering is part of walking in the spirit. It's part of living our lives in Christ. And in verses 18 through 27, uh, Paul is wanting to encourage us as we live in this world of suffering. That as Christians, we ought to be the most hopeful people on the face of the planet. And I'm going to share with you five different things that Paul points out in this passage of Scripture of why we as his believers should have great hope and not 
despair. Five things. The first we see is in verse 20. God is sovereign and did the subjecting. In all this suffering that we see across the globe and throughout history, God has subjected, God has done the subjecting of this planet to futility. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. When God created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, he said, you can partake of every tree that I've, I've created, all but one. You are not to eat of the tree of of uh, of tree of knowledge of good and evil. You are to avoid that. And what? And God said, if you eat of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, you are going to die. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They partook of that tree, and the Bible says they died. They didn't die literally. At that moment, but they died spiritually and it was a slow death throughout their lifetime. But it was at that point that sin, uh, evil entered the world. And it was because of the consequence, it was, it was because of man's disobedience. God said, you are going to die and God subjected all of creation, not just us, but all of creation to this futility. And so when we see suffering, when we see evil across the globe, guess what? We don't have to despair because God said that he was going to do this. And when we see it manifesting itself over and over again, yes, guess what? God is on his throne. He hasn't abdicated his sovereignty. Everything is still under his feet. We looked at this three weeks ago when, or four weeks ago when the, he, he sent the disciples out into a boat, into a storm. And he was on, he was on the, um, the shore, um, looking out over this on a, on a mountain, seeing the disciples struggle. God purposefully, Jesus purposefully sent them into the storm. And he waited until things were just so desperate. It was in the fourth watch of the night between 3 and 6 a.m. They had been struggling all night long. Jesus waited until they were absolutely exhausted and totally scared to death. And Jesus came walking out on the water. And most of the disciples thought it was a ghost. They weren't thinking Jesus was coming out to them. And they cried out in fear. But Peter, 
looking through, uh, you know, I, rain, you know, splattering wave, waves, the, the ocean coming into his face. Jesus, is that you? Jesus said, yes, it is, Peter. Bid me to come, Lord, if it's you. And Jesus says, come. Jesus, Jesus was walking on what the disciples feared most. They, they were afraid that they were going to drown. And Jesus was walking, he was crushing it. He was walking on top of that water. And that just speaks, that ought to speak volumes to every one of us here in this room this morning. What do you fear this morning? No, you're not on the seat of Galilee. It's not the fourth watch of the night like the disciples, but it's something or it's going to be something. And Jesus wants you and I to know that whatever it is that you fear, it's under his feet. And so when we read the newspaper, we watch the internet or the news reports of what all is happening around the world. You know what? God has not abdicated his throne. The Bible says that he has subjugated all of creation, creation and you and you and I to the evil. Why? Why, why has he subjugated us to this? Because he wants us to, to see the ghastly horror of sin, of the consequences of sin. We saw that last week when ISIS terrorists took vans and drove 50, 60 miles an hour through a, through a sidewalk area where pedestrians were, were walking. 14 people were killed. This, this is the manifestation of sin. It's hideous. It's repulsive. It's beyond our imagination. Paul wants us to know that even though that we are under it, we've been subject, subjected to it. We are subjected to it. We are in hope. It has been encapsulated in hope. God is still on his throne. And he has a purpose in all of it. I've said this before, we need to have a, a robust theology concerning suffering. Because if we don't have a robust theology concerning suffering, we're going to get sideways in our faith. Our faith is going to run shipwreck. How could God allow this to happen? God couldn't be a part of this. This is all the consequences of man rebelling against God. And God said, if you do this, you will 
die. And the Bible says that sin entered the world through the first Adam. And so when we see all hell breaking loose, when we see the, the, the South, Texas, filling up with water because of Hurricane Henry, Harvey, God is on his throne. And in this suffering, we are to be people of hope. Not only is it encapsulated in hope, suffering, but when we look at creation today, it hints of the glory that's to come. You know, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of, you know, nature uh, can be cataclysmic at times, and we're seeing that this weekend. But as we look at creation, creation hints that there is going to be a new creation one day. And it is going to be glorious. It is going to be beyond our imagination. And we can get a hint of this glory, church, even in Ridgecrest. You know, someone, uh, some people think that moving to Ridgecrest, God has banished you to the ends of the earth. You know, you're not in hell, but you can see hell from there. And, uh, and you're just kind of depressed and you just can't wait until you're old enough to move out of here. I want you to know, church, Christian, God's in the desert. And the desert hints to the glory that's gonna come. I love the springtime. You know, I'm not loving the summer a whole lot right now, but I like the spring. And spring is a beautiful picture of the new creation that's going to come because all the new leaves come out, you know, plants that had been dormant, that looked like they were dead in the wintertime, suddenly burst forth with life. That's a reminder of the resurrection and that one day there's going to be a new new heavens and a new earth that is going to last forever. Uh, I'm not liking August too much. I, th- I think that this has probably been the hottest August or the hottest summer since Susan and I moved here 18 years ago. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older. But it's been a bit miserable. But I want you to know that even in the heat of the summer, if you look close enough, if you were to go out in the cool of the morning and just walk through the desert, I bet you could find some little creatures that are just so cute. Kind of like desert tortoises. You know, we've got a mating pair of desert tortoises in our backyard. And guess what happened this week? Adele 
sent me a text uh, Friday. She I, she found a baby in her backyard. Was it your backyard? That uh, it had turned itself over, and so it bit the dust. But uh, that just reminded me. Well, maybe babies are starting to come out now, and so I went out into our backyard, and I found uh, I found five baby tortoises on Friday. Um, and you know what? In the midst of a miserable summer, those baby tortoises are just a hint of the new life that's coming. And if you'll look hard enough, God will encourage you that there's a glorious creation on its way. You know, as you drive along 395 and you look at the, the barren landscape of those, um, of the Eastern Sierras, I like how, you know, Ridgecrest, um, describes where we live. It's where the uh, Mojave Desert meets the Eastern Sierras. Doesn't that sound just absolutely beautiful to you? I think it does, but uh, but but when you get here and you drive when you when you drive along 395 and you're going up towards Lone Pining and you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right, both sides look rather desolate. But if you'll get off the beaten path and you'll get up into uh, some of those higher points and in, in those mountains, there there are some incredibly beautiful things to behold. And it all points to the glory of the creation of the new earth that's coming. In the midst of suffering, Paul says, God is on his throne. And as we look at creation around us, we can have great hope because the glory of the new new earth is yet to come. Let his creation remind you of this. The third reason why we can hope and not despair as Christians when we go through suffering is that groaning reminds us of labor and delivery. Labor and delivery. Verse uh, 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul uses the, the metaphor of suffering uh, associated with the, the pains of ch- childbirth. In essence, what he's telling us that life is like a hospital room. And we're all rather a mess. You know, as you see mamas about, about ready to deliver a ba- babies, they're not at their best. They don't have makeup on. Their, their, their hat, hair hasn't been done. Uh, they're sweaty. They're exhausted. They're in pain. And it's a picture of the groaning that all of us go through. You know, the older we get, the more we groan. 
I don't ever, I haven't heard my grandkids groan. You know, um, I watched Macy, and she could be on the floor, and, and she could be doing something on the floor, and uh, Macy can just get up. She doesn't even have to touch the floor. She just uses her legs, and she pops right up. There was a there was a little girl in the reception area this week at church, and uh, she was lifting her leg. Oh, gosh, she was lifting her leg and putting it over her head. She was probably seven or eight years old, and I looked at her and said, "Boy, I wish I could do that. I've never been able to do that." But uh, you know, when we're younger, there's not many groans. But you know, I've watched my kids as. I didn't hear them groan a whole lot, only if, when I asked them to do a chore or something, then they'd start groan, groaning. But uh didn't groan a whole lot growing up, but, you know, I watch Allison now as she uh, parents these kids, and boy, I hear a lot more groaning now than when I did her here growing up. And then I think of Arturo, you know, when you get Arturo's age over here. You know, the groaning becomes exponential. Is Arturo here this morning? I don't see him. Okay, well, you're going to have to tell him because he wasn't in church. I mentioned him this morning. (laughs) But Paul uses the metaphor of groaning and labor and delivery. You know, I've never gone through this experience but uh i've been told that um there's two types of pain that are very similar in nature uh now i i can't share from personal experience but because i've never had a baby i've never birthed a baby and i've never had a kidney stone but i hear that the pain is similar Okay, very painful. And, uh, and there's two kinds of groaning there. There's the one groaning where a mom is about ready to give birth to a baby and all that pain and misery and suffering leads to something so beautiful and, um, and, and there's such such joy, uh, there's new life, and then there's the pain and suffering of a kidney stone that over a period of time leads to a rock, jagged rock. And I never heard the person who's been going through the kidney stone groaning say, oh, let's do that again. But a mother who has been, has gone through giving birth to a child as painful as it is, for most, they're willing to do it again because of the payoff. Paul is saying that in this life of suffering, this groaning, is a reminder of the new life that is going to come. The suffering isn't going to last forever. And in comparison 
of what you are going to receive, there is no comparison. Let that reminder, let that groaning remind you of what is yet to come. The fourth reason why we can be people of great hope, Paul says, is in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul is essentially saying is today is the worst it's ever going to get. Yes, there is lots of suffering in this world. But for those who are in Christ, this is the worst it's ever going to get. For those outside of Christ and going through suffering, this is the best it's ever going to be. And that just leads to despair. If this is the best it's ever going to be, we can't help but despair about the future. I like what... Um, St. Teresa said about suffering. She said this, in the light of heaven, we bring that up, in the light of heaven, the worst sufferings on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Have you ever spent the night in an inconvenient hotel? People are pointing to me. You're right. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. If you follow me on Facebook, my wife took a picture of an inconvenient hotel that we stayed in in Bridgeport uh, last week. You know, we made the mistake of trying to get a room reservation uh, on our way up north on 395. It was a Friday and trying to find a room. There's no vacancies uh, anywhere along 395. A couple places, and we found the cheapest room, which was not cheap, in Bridgeport. And uh, we got to this room. And this is, you need to turn off all the lights, okay? That, that picture's washed out there. Can we turn off all the lights? But, uh, this was our room. Let's turn off the stage lights too, okay? So you don't see, watch me cry. But, uh, no, th- this was the room that, uh, at the Bridgeport Inn. You know, and growing up, when I was a kid growing up at, and I would spend the night at Grandma Logan's house, I could swear that that was the bed I slept in at Grandma Logan's house. I crawled into that bed, and uh, that bed has a nice little dip in the middle, and it creaks. That is the loudest bed I've slept in in the longest time. So that was the bed. We didn't take a picture of the bathroom, but the bathroom was so small. The shower was so narrow. I just had to put the soap on the walls and turn around. And take a shower. <laughs> the toilet was so low to the ground, it was like the preschool toilets back in the back of, the, of our building here. But you can turn the lights back on. You know what? But it was just 
It was just an inconvenient night. You know why? Because I was going fishing the next morning. The sunrise, I knew the sun was going to come up, and I knew where I was going the next morning. Lord willing, if I live through this night. But I slept like a baby. Because I was full of hope and anticipation of what I was going to experience on Saturday. Because on Friday night, let's bring up a picture of Friday night. On Friday night, that's what I caught at Silver Lake. And I was going back to Silver Lake the next morning. And so, it was just an inconvenient night. But Susan didn't feel the same way. She she slept like a baby too, but she was up every two hours. But in this time of suffering, Paul tells us that we can be people of great hope because we are people of faith, because we know what the future awaits us. And we walk in faith and not by Sight. And then the fifth reason why we can be people of great faith, great hope, and not despair, not just because this is the worst it's ever going to get, but when we groan, when we cry, when we go through times of suffering, as a child of God, we do not groan alone. Look at verses 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I know I've made light of suffering this morning because I, as I've shared my own personal life, but uh, I don't want to minimize the suffering that you're going through right now. There are times when we don't know what to pray. And all we can do is grown. And for those who walk in the, in the flesh, we don't have this help. But those who live according to the, the Spirit, who walk in faith and not by sight, know that they don't groan alone. And that the Holy Spirit understands and He's able to interpret what we can't articulate. I've had the opportunity on, on occasion to speak to our Hispanic church or to uh, go, over, go overseas and, and speak at, um, in, in Togo to the pastors in Togo or go down to Takati and speak to the church down in Takati. <clears throat> and I've had to use an interpreter. And I've experienced some interpreters who take my words 
and try their very best to communicate those words in that particular language. But then I've had some other interpreters who, where we just have, we have this connection and he knows he knows where I'm coming from as I'm conveying those words in English and he knows his audience and all say things and he will kind of reinterpret that because he knows the audience that he's interpreting to and he takes those words and he embellishes those words. I'm, I'm not sure how he does what does it, but people's heads are agreeing with what he is saying. And that's our helper. The Holy Spirit knows our hearts, knows what we can't convey verbally, and he takes those groans and he interprets those those groans to our heavenly father as our mediator as our helper and so friend as you suffer Paul says we don't have to be like the rest of the world who lives in despair we have a God who understands a God Who's there? Suffering all around us. He has not abdicated his throne. He has subjected it all and encapsulated it in great hope. Because Jesus has conquered sin and death. He's no longer in the grave. He's coming back. And not only is he going to redeem us, not only do we look for our redemption, but all of creation is standing on tippy toes watching us and our redemption because our redemption hinges on their redemption. God is going to make everything brand new. We're all in the hospital. But what room are you in? Are you in labor and delivery? Anticipating the the new birth, the new creation? Or are you in the room trying to pass a kidney stone? The suffering has nothing to show for it. This is the best it's ever going to get. There was a famous philosopher. He died back in 1970. His name was Bertrand Russell. He was an atheist. Didn't believe in God whatsoever. Someone asked him at the end of his life, what are you holding on to? What are you hanging on to? And Bertrand Russell said this, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. We don't have to despair, church. Yes, 
there are going to be tears. But when you compare this to all eternity, there's no comparison. And you don't suffer alone. And as we walk in His Spirit, as we walk by faith and not by sight, that doesn't mean we just have this fake smile on our face and not be real. But in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is walking out to our boat. And whatever we fear, it's under his feet. Let's pray. Is your life in Christ? That is key to this whole chapter. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus to have this hope, to have these resources made available to you. And the way you do that is that you admit that you've been trying to live life on your own and it hasn't been working. And sin has separated you from God. Jesus knows every sin that you've ever committed or will commit. And the Bible says he loves you unconditionally. And even when you were at your absolute worst and you can know you know what your absolute worst is. The Bible says Jesus died for you. He took the wrath that you deserved and put it on himself so you would not have to be condemned. By faith, this morning would you choose to believe and give your life to Jesus? Christian, have you been living in the room of despair? I just want to encourage you to take these words to heart that Paul has written to us. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to give up. God has a purpose in all of it. And we'll be looking at that next week. Live a life of hope because you believe in Jesus. Father, thank you for the promises of your word. How we need your word, God. It's, it's, it's your truth. It's your truth that will set us free. Father, for those who find themselves enslaved to something this morning, God, may they cry out to you. Maybe it requires groaning. I don't know. But Holy Spirit, you can take those words and you can be our interpreter to our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father, for this time of invitation, of worship, as we focus on the cross. Because if it wasn't for the cross, we would all be hopelessly lost and in despair forever. 
Bless this time. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to worship. This is a time of invitation. If you need to pray with somebody this morning, there's elders in the dining hall. We would love to pray with you this morning as we worship our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let's take this time to connect with him.